brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Uh, that's right. Uh, by God, there we got a man, and this is opening day. Now, this may mean nothing to most of you, and I feel sorry for you. I really do. Now, uh, I, I, uh, I, you know, I was walking down the street today, you know, down 6th Avenue, see, and it was a kind of a chilly day, the crack of sun coming down once in a while, you know, it's about 49, 50, 51 degrees, just on the edge. And I'm walking down 6th Avenue, and, uh, I walk past this little cigar store, and I can hear the radio roaring out. The guys got the radio in there. There's 50 guys in there, you know, buying cigars and stuff. And I heard him mention, and in the Fort Benning, the Cincinnati. I thought, my God, it is opening day. Now, it matters not whether you're interested in in sports. It's not a sport concept that we're dealing with here. It's the opening day of the baseball season today. The Cincinnati Reds took on the San Francisco Giants today in Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. And uh, they have been doing this. The opening day has been an opening day. In other words, the official opening day has been celebrated in Cincinnati. Why? Do you know why they always play it first in Cincinnati? The first game's always in Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati was the first... Major League Baseball team. The, the actually first professional team was the Cincinnati Club. And so, uh, you know, kind of like, like an honor. They let them always open a season. They have done this for many, many eons. And uh, they play the first game, and then the rest of the league begins the next day, like tomorrow. You know, the rest of the league starts playing. Well, the Cincinnati Reds began to play, see, in 1871. Now, that's 102 years ago. That's a long time in this country. <laughs> a long time. Now, that's a, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, that is already approaching European antiquity, at least in the game field. And uh, it certainly doesn't, uh, doesn't compare with Westminster Abbey or something like that. But when something's over 100 years old, you've got to respect it. <laughs> Whether or not you dig it or not, it's still 100 years old. It's a lot longer than professional football. And uh, 100 years. Well, they, they, they've been playing uh, right there by the banks of the Ohio River for 100 years. Or better now. Well, it's, it's 1871. This is 73. So that would be at least 102 years. And they must have been playing longer than that, you know, before they decided to make this professional deal and, and, and go around the country and play baseball. Well, now, this is, we're not talking about sports. Don't we? Mr. Shepard, I can't stand baseball. Where are you? There's always these poor, niggling little people, you know. And uh, I, I just feel sorry for people whose interests are so narrow that they cannot encompass the entire, or at least a large part of the, of the world they live in. And uh, that's not to say to be a baseball fan, but the, 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 the thing that makes opening day exciting to many, many people, I'd say millions, is not baseball. I don't know. It's only peripherally related to baseball. It is the closest thing that we in America know to a true national rite of spring. It is a genuine spring ritual. <laughs> in other words, baseball season always is in the earliest days of spring. 
And it's a kind of an official statement. Spring really is here. And, and any ritual is almost completely inexplicable. One cannot explain rituals. So if you do not understand this ritual, if you do not buy it, then there's no way for me to explain it to you. <laughs> no way. So don't expect any explanation. Because you can't. How can you... Uh, uh, I'm sure that the Druids could not explain their rituals to non-Druids. They could tell them the outline of it, you know. They could say, well, then we take this virgency and we, we uh, at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, we get together and we burn the sacred incense and we can do this. And then finally the sacred high priest takes this uh, dagger. And you would still say, well, yeah, but what do you do? He'd say, well, if you don't understand it, you never will understand it. And there's no way for me to tell you, right? That's called ritual. Ritual goes so deep in, in the soul of a human being <laughs> that, uh, that you cannot explain it. Now, it does not necessarily go deep in the soul of every human being. That's, uh, but spring does happen to everybody. Spring happens to everybody. Now, spring rituals occur even if they occur subconsciously. The spring ritual. It's, it's the announcement that another year has passed and that's why springs are curiously sad in one respect, you know. Uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Earl Wilson who said April is the saddest month. Yes, it was one of the, one of the famous Earl Wilson columns. Was, was, was that the late Dorothy Kilgallen, I believe, said that? That's her style. Spring is the saddest month, or April is the saddest month. Yes, that's, that, that's right. It's Dorothy Kilgallen said that. But uh, here, uh, why? I mean, <laughs> well, it's also the, the, the most... Exciting month. See, everything goes together in pairs like that. It can, it can, on one hand, be the most exciting. The other hand, be the worst drag. Uh, and you alternate. During periods of change, which is what spring is, really. Spring is change, friend. It is not summer. It is not winter. It is change. There's great feelings of unrest. You ever feel that feeling? Aren't, even you must feel this. It must have filtered even down to the lower reptiles. As you're walking along... Sixth Avenue, do you feel that inexplicable moment of exhilaration, which of course goes against all your whole hippie background. You cannot, uh, you cannot feel this moment of exhilaration without at least having something making smoke in front of yours. <laughs> you know, some, <laughs> some, some damn thing that's caused it. That's the inexplicable. See, there's no explanation for it. You walk along, you feel this exhilaration. Oh my God. Oh wow. It's fantastic. Oh, I'm alive. It's going to be a fantastic summer. I'm going to do it all this year. It's going to happen. And then 20 minutes later, for no reason at all, you're sitting in a chock full of nuts and you're, you're staring gloomily ahead. And you're looking at the mirror and you're looking down at your, your chocolate brownie. You say, what the hell is it all about? Well, that's the essence of change. The great pendulum swings in the human breast. And we feel urges because we are part of the animal kingdom, friends, whether we like it or not. And we feel primal urges which are related to the earth and the stars and the sky and the tides and the sand and the wind. Even if you live in a city like New York where everything is practically paved over and it's artificial, still the, the soul, the, the, uh, that, little, that little tiny knot of the, of the animal in us, the zoological knot, relates to the unseen pendulum of the spring. celebrating it together whether we like it or not. I don't care how rich you are, you cannot say, well, I'm going to have my spring three months from now. 
I don't believe in the spring this time of year. No way, friend. Nor can you say, what the, what the hell is he talking about? Huh? With the world in flames with all them rotten politicians in? No, I'm sorry, friend. Spring goes on. Summer will come. Fall will occur, which incidentally is another time of great unrest. Also a time of curious celebration. Yes? Uh, in a sense, a very real sense, the World Series is the... It's the fall harvest celebration of America. It's the, it's the celebration that another summer, another great harvest has been taken in, and the winter will set in shortly, and we celebrate with the long shadows falling over the arena. And that's the thing about a baseball park, the symmetry of it. The great round ovoid curve of it is almost egg-shaped, which incidentally is highly significant. The egg has always played a ritual symbolism uh, throughout all of human history. And uh, here's this great oval, and we're all sitting there together, all, all in, a, in curious communication over a, a total abstraction. A man with a stick and a ball hurtling through the, through the spring air, and men wearing uniforms, uh, and, and incidentally, ritual cabalistic uniforms that have have strange devices on them that uh, that are, are devices that have very little to do with you. The very few baseball uniforms that have picture people on them, they're almost all symbolic. A cardinal. Yes. A bear cub. Uh-huh. The animal kingdom plays a great role in these rituals. Yes. And even our early forebears, the Cleveland Indians, seen Indian. Yeah, that's right. It's all part of it. It's, it's a, they don't name ball teams things like uh, uh, the uh, Cleveland Grapefruits. Uh, you know, <laughs> although that could be a good name for that club. This is WOR, New York, friends. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, this is a this is a very interesting. Uh, phenomena to me it's 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 far more than a game it is it's a it's it's a it's a ritual and and a, and it's a ritual that goes deep into our subconscious and they celebrate it by the way far more virulently out in the country where they feel the spring coming on opening day in new york is interesting but new york you see mutes everything it always has, because it is a great artificial creation which wards off spring, it wards off summer, it wards off even winter. Most people live their lives in air-conditioned cubicles, so spring, summer, winter come and go, and you only feel a faint inkling of it. But in places like Cincinnati, where for miles around the town you can feel the spring coming out, you can smell the river changing. river smells differently, you know, in, in April than it does in, say, December. You smell it, and you can see the the water rising. The flood time, the water rises. That means the snows are melting all over the upper reaches of the river. And the water is rising, and the the sense of spring is really almost almost too much to bear. Sometimes you have to do something about it, and so for that reason, 
and, and many others. But for that reason alone, uh, opening day has always been sold out in Cincinnati. To get an opening day ticket in Cincinnati is the equivalent of almost getting to be uh, nominated by the Liberal Party for mayor in New York. It doesn't mean much, but at least you got it. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, and I, I, I attended one of the great spring solstice rites that I ever attended was one time, the only time I was ever lucky enough to attend an opening day in Cincinnati. It was a great afternoon. And <laughs> spring, you know, what are you going to do? Spring, man. You know, uh, I, I want to, I, I just want to, whatever, because, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an artist's, uh, uh, duty to the public to report, not to the public, but, you know, to, to life, to report on, uh, on the unreportable, on that which we rarely talk about. But let's face it, spring does cause a lot of, a lot of mind blowing. I'll bet this. I'll, I'm going to make a. I'm going to make a statement about spring right now. Spring is always romanticized, you know, in 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 uh, songs and in poetry, and it is. It's a very romantic time. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why traditionally weddings have been held in June. This is spring. You know? it's springtime. Uh, I also feel. I don't know the statistics, but I'll bet any money that more. Affairs are begun in the spring. <laughs> I'm talking about affairs, hanky-panky stuff. Uh, but more affairs are begun in the spring than at any other time of the year. Also, I will, I will suggest this. More divorces are contemplated in the spring of the year. Contemplated. I'm not saying that they're carried through. You know, people sitting... Uh, moodily looking down into their coffee grounds at the chock full of nuts. And uh, I'm talking of all sexes. You know, today one must say all sexes, not necessarily both. So uh, uh, he's contemplating, I'm not slighting anyone. So he's contemplating, looking, he, she, it, looking down into the coffee grounds. Oh, God. I'm... This year I'm going to do it. I'm just going to have to do it. That's the contemplation. On the other hand, and this is very closely alike. He, she, it, all sexes, sitting in the same chunk full of nuts, looking into the same coffee cup, looking across that U-shaped cut. And you see this fantastic, radiant vision of incredible, incredible, libidinous, magnetic force has floated in and has taken this seat over there and has, with a gentle, graceful wave of the hand, ordered a cup of coffee and a brownie, just like you've got, which shows automatically that you two have got common interest right there. And he, she, it looks up, and for one brief instant there is a, you know, that, that the, the eyes catch each other across the across the counter, and there's this this sudden feeling of fluttering down inside. You look away. You look back. It was not a mistake. There was an unmistakable communion of souls there for that brief instant. An entire lifetime. An entire fantastic parade of, of libidinous adventures have gone by in 30 milliseconds. My God almighty. And already you're saying, i got to get rid of this chick. Oh, she's on my back. 
Yes. We live a million lifetimes, sometimes in the space of an hour. Ships that pass in the night. Icebergs that melt in the spring. Fish that swim up the great rivers of life to spawn. You are but one of the salmon. Propelled by forces you don't know anything about. You don't know why. The salmon cannot tell you. Well, the reason I'm leaving the ocean and I want I just want to see the river. He doesn't even remember the river. He doesn't know what does it. He falls in with trillions of other salmon and hippies that swim upstream. And so it is, the great unrest settles into the soul of mankind every spring. Every spring. Some of us curse it, and I am not one of us. Because many people are afraid of any emotion. You notice this, Art? Some people are afraid of any emotion. It disturbs the safety of their days. They get very nervous when you talk like this, and I'm sure a lot of people have already switched off and they're looking for something that, quote, makes sense. <laughs> Do you think Julie Andrews singing selections from Sound of Music in stereo makes sense? My God. What makes sense? I've always wondered what that phrase meant. Makes sense. What madness. Because it implies there is a logical order to things. And this has always eluded man. It'll always elude everything. And great religions rise and fall philosophical systems rise and fall and all the while your glands keep yelling down inside your gut for reasons you never understand none of us will Freud Dr. Rubin Jacqueline and Suzanne nobody all the great minds of our time <laughs> yes yes sit there looking down into your coffee cup saying oh God I guess that's the true sign of life departing the body. I think people begin to die long before they are deceased. And I think that the true sign of a person beginning to die is when he no longer feels those things. Gone. And then he begins to think that those who do feel them are some kind of nuts. What is it? Come on, come on, grow up, will ya? You know, how many times you heard that? Said to you. And I remember that day in Cincinnati. I, I began to understand this. And, you know, to me, baseball's game, great. Big the game. But it was the summer, spring, ancient druidic ritual about it that began to soak into my... You know, man has played games since the very earliest of unrecorded history. And they, they feel that many, many commentators, not necessarily commentators, scientists feel that one of the curious things that separates man from the rest of the, you notice I didn't say the lesser beasts, from, one of the, from the others, is his curious affinity for abstract ritual. Very few animals have been known to walk around wearing good luck charms around their neck. 
No. There's never been a case where a bear has taken the claw of a fallen enemy and put it on a string around his neck to ward off defeat by other enemies. Man. Man. Games are with us always. Even ladies who hate baseball find themselves playing bingo. Why? Why do you sit there and holler all of a sudden, Bingo! What does this mean? I have had victory over my enemies. I have vanquished the foes. I have emerged victorious. My enemies are lying in disarray on the field. Their broken bodies strewn around my victorious chariot. Bingo! Is it the miserable little 74 cents you get for getting bingo? No. It's the victory. Aged gentlemen squat over canasta cards. You walk through Washington Square in a village like I did this morning, and the spring brings them out. Yeah, it brings them out. The young and the old all sitting around checkerboards, watching, constantly looking, and two or three guys are sitting there mulling for weeks over a single chess move. game, the ritual, the New York Times crossword puzzle. And on this particular Saturday, and it was a Saturday this opening day, I'll never forget it. I happened to be, you know, I was going to school. And and my roommate in school lived down in Cincinnati. And he was going home for the weekend, you know. And he says, uh, hey, he said, uh, how'd you like to go home with me? this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I... Yeah. He said, hey, he says, my old man's got a box seat across the field. I'm going back for the opening game. That was another story. I said, well, uh, opening game. Who are the Reds playing? It's at Pittsburgh. Opening game. And so we piled into his Ford convertible and drove through the night. We arrived at his home in Cincinnati, and the next morning, got up, you know, breakfast, sat down to play the eggs and all that stuff. And uh, his old man was was uh, all excited. It was opening day. He had a box seat, and and I did not at that time realize the significance of this. The old man uh, says, "Oh boy, you know." Uh, and I, even, I I'll tell you even who pitched. You curious who pitched? Ewell Blackwell hurled the opening game, and uh, <laughs> Blackwell pitching for the Cincinnati Reds. And we, we, we got in his car, we went down to the park, and millions of people, and it was a cold, kind of a, a raw, edgy spring day. Not the classical spring afternoon that we all think of, but it was unmistakably spring, because as we drove down south and drove through that, that great Ohio Valley, we drove down through southern, through southern Indiana and over into southern Ohio there, you can see on all sides rolling, bright, chartreuse green of the beginning fields that were just beginning to take hold. You could smell it in the air. And you could see flocks of birds would rise and fly over the roads as we drove down towards Cincinnati. And when we got into town at opening day that morning, when we walked out, I, I was not used to the river smell yet because I had never lived next to a big river in my life. 
And I, I smell this smell. The river smell is very strong in spring and in fall in Cincinnati. And it's an exciting, curious smell. It's the smell of a million kinds of life going on and awakening. It's the smell of catfish moving upstream. The smell of deep water. The smell of mud on the banks and cattails beginning to germinate and grow and all this. You can smell it. And then we, we got into the into the parking lot. Millions of people are coming in. Cars are moving in. Great crowds of people all just walking forward towards one thing. This great green oval. And traditionally, ball fields have been green, which incidentally is also, interestingly enough, connected with the whole idea, the, the Shibui concept of Japan. The natural color of of nature is green. Green. This great green stadium standing there right on the banks of the river. And we all filed in. Millions of people, right? I could feel the excitement welling. And, and remember, it wasn't the game. It was, it, you know, I'm, I'll tell you that the, that the guy who went to the, went to the spring ritual at Stonehenge, your average druid, was not going there for the sacrifice of the virgin. He was going there for a lot more than that. And that was only incidental to it. And so, he, and, and by the way, the pirates were the sacrificial virgin that day. If anybody, any of you know anything about Ewell Blackwell, you know what I'm talking about. Especially the Pittsburgh pirates of that period. All, all Blackwell had to do was to walk out, out, of, out of the dugout, throw his hat on the mound, and the ball game was over. But that isn't the point. Not really, and yet it was connected with it. Because all, all spring rituals, ultimately, are involved in life and death. And this day, it was the death of the pirates and the beginning of life of the Reds. And so we moved into this great stadium. And we were sitting out along the left field foul line, about 70 80 feet back at third base. Out on that left field line. Down low on the field. You could smell the grass. You could see places where it was not yet fully grown in. And the groundskeepers had seeded it. You could see the seed, the grass. We were low enough to smell the grass. And that's one of the great things they're going to miss, by the way, ultimately. And all the tartan turf, the, the polyethylene turf and so forth, is the smell of that grass in a ballpark on a hot day. And we could see all the seeded places out there. We all filed in, and people began to gather into this great stadium. The opening day was set for 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But the opening, the opening pitch was to be hurled. And at 12.30, the ceremonies began. A band marched out. No ritual is anything without music. The band marched out to and these girls came out, the drum majorettes. I don't have to tell you what a girl looks like when you're going to Indiana University and you are a sophomore and a six foot seven inch drum majorette complete with an unbelievable set of glands comes out there dressed in a costume that weighs less than a quarter of an ounce. I do not have to tell you much about spring urges. And the, the band comes marching out, the flags flying. <laughs> and uh, 
somebody made a speech. You could hear the echoing voice going around this, this stadium. You hear the speech saying, Ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome you today to another historic opening day at Crosley Stadium. Since 1871, the Cincinnati Reds, then known as the Cincinnati Red Stockings, later the Cincinnati Red Legs, now the Cincinnati Reds, have played on this site for many, many years. And traditionally, opening day has been celebrated by the National Baseball League here in the birthplace of professional baseball. This afternoon, we are beginning another season. We wish the Cincinnati Reds good luck this year as we wish the Pittsburgh Pirates good luck this year. And now to begin the new season, we introduce to you in the third base dugout the Cincinnati entry in the National Baseball League Let's give a welcome to the Cincinnati Reds. And at that point, the, cr the, the club came charging out on the field in their brand new spring uniforms, red and white, bright red hats, and the crowd just a fantastic roar. <laughs> it echoes out over the river. And striding out to the mound was six foot eight inch Ewell Blackwell. Tall, lean, lethal. Blackwell was known as many things. He had many names. He was called the whip by some people. He was called the snake by other people. He was simply called bad news by most batters who had to face him. Blackwell was a left-hander, excuse me, a right-hander, who had such a low, underhand, looping, whip-like, snake-like delivery that to a batter facing you or Blackwell, it looked like the ball was approaching him from down the third baseline. From somewhere in the grass, it would come leaping out. And Blackwell walks out on the mound. Over on third base was Grady Hayden. Brady Hatton pulls his hat down low. And hanging loose and mean and big over at first base was Ted Klazuski. More muscles than any human being ever was allowed to have. And out in left field, right close to where we were sitting, was Hank Sauer. Another guy that could hit a long, mean ball. And the first nameless Currying hapless Pittsburgh pirate came up to the plate in his gray traveling uniform. It was the moment of the sacrifice, and the crowd was waiting. The virgin was laid upon the altar. Blackwell stared down long and hard, getting his sign. Sign. The sign was ridiculous to Blackwell. All Blackwell had to do was lean back, make that arm, that big right arm, sweep the grass, and throw that low, mean, ugly, mean sidearm whip-like pitch. 
from third base someplace. And that's what he did. That wind-up. And we could hear that ball. Boom. Into the glove. And the umpire leans back and hollers, Strike! One! And the crowd. And we were all together. It was another summer sacrifice had begun. And the ritual was being played out on the green fields of the growing, rich, verdant Ohio Valley. And the smell of the river drifted in all during the game. The summer had officially begun. And now all the divorces could start and all the affairs were official. And life was good. Uh, W.O.R. New York.